Have you ever experienced a time in life when you were facing a situation that seemed impossible and you knew you needed to pray through that situation and you tried to pray through that situation but you just couldn't seem to find the faith to pray through it and to get through it. And so, you just gave up and walked away feeling defeated. We have all been there. And there's a good chance we're going to be there again before we get out of this life into heaven. There are some things and some prizes that life throws at us that we are not anticipating. And when they come, they overwhelm us. And we reach out for our faith. And we try to believe God to work and to move and to be in the situation and to get us through it and to get us through it successfully. But we just don't seem to have the faith that's required to believe God for the miracle, for the intervention that we need. You see... God didn't intend for us to go through every situation and have to just operate exclusively off of our faith. There are some miracles that we are not going to have and we are not going to experience if we don't have the faith of others mixed into our faith. I call it the faith connection, where my faith is connected to somebody else's, their faith is connected to mine, and together we are believing God to work in a situation. I like to call them group miracles because it takes a group of folks believing together to see God move in that situation. And some of us may be here today and we're trying on our own to believe God for something that we just don't seem to be able to believe God for. The problem is not that we're not spiritual enough and don't love Jesus enough. The challenge is that we've got to figure out and we've got to learn how to connect to each other so together we are praying and believing God to work, to get that group miracle. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. In this passage, we're going to see where a group of men believed God together for a miracle. What no one of them could have trusted the Lord for by themselves, together they believed God, and together they saw God work. And my sermon outline is contained on the last page of your bulletin. Follow along if you would. Story takes place after Jesus has made his first tour of Galilee. He's in Capernaum in his disciples Peter's home. It's a great crowd there. I was telling the kids this story earlier. Crowd is so big, it's packed out the house. They poured out into the street, and you can't even get close to the house. The crowd is so great. Listening to Jesus teach. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at the home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. 
And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes who were sitting there questioned in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in His spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. When we go to connect with God, the first thing we need to realize is that He has already taken the initiative to connect to us. Notice in this story, you've got Capernaum, and you've got a paralytic in Capernaum. But Jesus had left heaven and come to this earth. And Jesus had come to Capernaum. And in coming to Capernaum, Jesus knew the paralytic lived there. You see, the paralytic and his friends were trying to get to Jesus. But the biggest obstacle to getting to Jesus, Jesus had already taken care of. Because if you think it's you know, difficult to get through a crowd to get to Jesus, try to get to heaven to get to Jesus. That was the greatest. I mean, none of them could have done anything about that. So what did Jesus do? He left heaven, went to Bethlehem, lived on this earth for 33 plus years. He was grown up, moved to Capernaum. He's in Peter's house. He had moved into the paralytic's neighborhood. And so often when we go to get connected to God, we get all discouraged because we don't feel the presence of the Lord and we think we can't pray the way we need to pray. We can't say the right words. We get all defeated because we think we've got to put out so much effort to try to connect to God without realizing He has already stepped out of heaven and stepped into our world and stepped into our neighborhood to connect to us. Right there in Capernaum, Jesus had reached out and made the connection. Now notice what Jesus is doing. It says that he, verse 2, was preaching the word to them. Not only had he come to Capernaum, but he was preaching the word to them. The word preaching there, and I want you to write this down. The idea of the Greek word there is fascinating. It doesn't mean that he was just doing what I'm doing right now. In other words, standing there running his mouth. Okay, I hope I'm doing a little bit more than running my mouth, but you get the idea. Some of you I may be putting to sleep, but anyway. The idea of the Greek word there is that you're communicating with your heart and soul. In other words, Jesus was teaching, but if you'd walked in there that day, you would not only have heard him teaching the truth of God, you would have seen the expression on his face. You would have heard it in his voice. You would have seen it in his eyes. You would have had this idea that, man, this man is pouring all that he is is into what he's saying to us. 
What was Jesus doing there? He was connecting, but he wasn't just connecting with words. He was connecting with his heart. He was connecting with their ears. He was connecting with their emotions. He was connecting with all that he had to all that they were. I said this to you a few weeks ago. When God goes to communicate with us, he takes all that he is and he communicates it to all that we are. That's the idea of him preaching there. Jesus had come to Capernaum to connect with them, but now as he had them right in front of him, he was connecting to them in every possible way he was connecting to them. Listen, we don't try to get a hold of God and get his attention. Realize that he's already come to your life. He's already doing everything he can to connect to you. So don't get discouraged when you pray. Know that Jesus is already there. Now, sometimes we have trouble connecting to him, but the problem is not that he's not present. It's just that we're just trying to get all the signals straight in order to make the connection. And sometimes we connect without even realizing we're connecting. Because the issue was not, do I feel like Jesus is in Capernaum? Jesus was in Capernaum because it was a fact. He was in Capernaum. I work at sensing the presence of God, but the presence of God is there not because I happen to feel it. The presence of God is there because he promised that he would be there. When Jesus said two or three are gathered together in my midst, when you gather in my name, there I am in your midst. Folks, Jesus is here right now. It's not, we don't have to wait for our feelings to catch up with the fact, with the reality. If he says he's going to be here when we're gathered in his name, mark it down. He's going to be there. The challenge is not to try to talk him into being here. The challenge is we just got to start acting and thinking and praying like he's fulfilling his promise to us. So Jesus has already taken the initiative to connect. Notice what happens next. There's an obstacle. These guys want to see their friend healed. They can't even get to the front door, let alone in front of Jesus. Jesus could have walked out the door into the street, up to the guy, and healed him. But he chose not to. Jesus could have said to the crowd, there's a guy who's a paralytic out in the street. I need you all to move out of the way and let him come in. But he chose not to. Jesus chose to stay in the house, let the crowd stay in the house, let the crowd stay in the doorway, let the crowd stay in the street. While he taught, and they had to tear a roof up. How many times does the Lord allow obstacles to stay in the way of us getting to Him? And a lot of times when He allows the obstacles to be there, we get discouraged, we get frustrated, and we start thinking, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care about me anymore because He's allowed all these obstacles to get in between me getting to Him. Now, why did Jesus do that? It wasn't because he, wanted, he was insensitive. He didn't care. He wanted to make it difficult for him for the sake of making it difficult. He was building their faith. When I was in high school, they had a semester of weightlifting and wrestling. And I know this will be very, very difficult for you all to believe, but my gym teacher looked at me and looked at my legs and looked at my arms and he says, you cannot wrestle until we put you through a weightlifting program. You don't, you're not strong enough to, to handle it when you get on the mat. And I was insulted. I was careful not to look in the mirror so that I wouldn't see what he was talking about. 
So he takes me and a few other guys that were in the same condition I was in, and he puts us in a weight room and started us out with 50 pounds. And if you know anything about weightlifting, that's pretty low, but he started us out with 50 pounds. And then we worked up to 75 pounds, and then we thought we'd really hit it when we got up to 100 pounds, etc. And we had to go in there, and the other guys who were strong us, they were already in there learning all the moves, we're in there having to lift weights, etc. Now my PE teacher did that because he wanted us to, to get stronger, but he cared about us. He knew that if we did the weightlifting, we would be ready when we got to the mat. And when we finally finished the weightlifting program and we got to the mat, I was very thankful that he had made me do that because three seconds into another guy pushing his body against mine as hard as he could made me know that I would not have been ready had I not gone through that weightlifting program. And folks, a lot of us want to go to the mat and we are trying to get on the mat and the Lord knows if our faith doesn't get built up, we're going to get crushed when we get on the mat. There's no way we're going to be able to believe through the situation and have the faith to get to the situation we need. So the Lord allows the obstacles and he puts the obstacles in our lives to say, I'm going to put some pressure there. I'm going to put an obstacle there. I'm going to put something that you've got to work against and believe through in order to get to me, in order to connect with me, in order to know my power and presence. Not because I don't love you, because I do love you. And I know we've got to build some faith here before we get you on the mat. So what do these guys do? They go up on the roof, and they begin to tear the roof apart. I explained to the kids early how the roofs in those days were made. Now, what are they doing as they tear the roof apart? I want you to follow this closely. Number one, they are believing together. They are working together. They are acting together. What the faith of one of them could not accomplish, the faith of all of them together could accomplish. Notice how they express that faith. They're acting outside the box. They're tearing somebody's roof up. They're going to lure their friend down through the roof. That's not orthodox. That's not what the kind of thing you're supposed to do when you serve Jesus. Let me share something. When you start walking in faith and acting in faith, you are going to do some stuff that you're going to look back and you're going to look on while you're doing it and think, this is strange, this is weird, why am I doing this? People are going to think, I'm strange, I'm weird, I'm messing the situation up, I'm playing the game outside the box, because that's what faith looks like and that's what faith acts like. When you start believing God and looking for God to do a work, it's not going to look normal and sound normal and feel normal. It's going to look super normal. That's what they had to do. They had to believe God and they began to act. And notice that they, and I want you to follow me on this, they were praying when they were doing this. Now we always think of prayer as you sit and you're quiet and you've got your hands folded and that's prayer. It's also a great posture to sleep. They are praying and they're praying is in the act of breaking through the roof, in the act of taking their friend up, in the act of luring him. You see, when we get into the place of faith in prayer, it begins to take on action. The book of James talks about this all over the place. This is basically faith that just sits there and does nothing, is dead, it doesn't accomplish anything. Faith that is from God acts. And when you and I pray in faith, Sooner or later, and sooner before or later, we're going to start acting on the faith. We're going to start acting out of the faith. And that's what they're doing here. As they believe God, they begin to act. we got to tear up the roof because we know if we can get this roof torn up, we know if we can get our friend before Jesus, 
that something's going to happen. We're not satisfied just to sit back and say, Jesus, would you heal him? we got to get him before Jesus. We're not satisfied to say, we hope we're going to have a miracle. We know if we get him before Jesus, we will get a miracle. Now, I want you to see what they are believing God for here. Number one, they are believing God for power. We believe Jesus has got the power to heal him. But second, we believe that Jesus loves him enough to heal him. See, most of the time, whether we realize it or not, our struggle is not believing God's got the power to act. It's believing that he's got the love to act. When I was a student at Southwestern Seminary, Dr. Roy Fish was my professor of evangelism. And I remember Dr. Fish came into class one day, and we were having an emphasis at the seminary on revival, not just a series of service, but an outpouring of God's spirit among us. And I'll never forget what Dr. Fish said to us. He walked into class and he said, Guys, do you believe that God loves us enough to give us revival? He said, because that's the issue. Do we believe that God loves us enough to pour out His Spirit in our midst? Those guys just didn't believe that Jesus had the power to heal. They believed that if they got their friend before Jesus that he would love them enough and love their paralyzed friend enough that he would use his power to heal. You see, power that isn't mixed with love can be destructive. Power that doesn't have love all entwined in it just sits there and does nothing. But power that is mixed with love heals sick bodies and touches lives and so our calling and their calling was not just to believe that he had the power, it was to believe that he had the love to do something about it. When they lowered their friend, Jesus wasn't going to look at the guy and say, how dare you break up my teaching time? You've messed my agenda up. How dare you tear Peter's house up? They believed Jesus loved enough that when the, he came down in front of them, Jesus was going to stop teaching and he was going to heal the guy. They believe together, they believe for power, they believe for love. And they got a miracle because group miracles require group faith. Group miracles require group faith. Follow me on this. God had built their faith so they could believe together for their friend. When Jesus builds your faith, it is not just for you. It's for the people in your life that need you to believe for them and with them. Some of you are going through some stuff right now and God's building your faith. He's strengthening your faith. He's making you sweat bullets to get your faith stronger. And you're saying, why God? And God is trying to say to you, I'm not just building your faith for you. I'm building your faith because you're going to need to believe with a friend. I'm building your faith because you've got to believe with a relative. I'm building your faith because I'm going to call you and lead you into a group of folks that you're going to believe together. That's why I'm building your faith. Faith development and building is not just for us. It's for the people that God wants us to believe together for His work. And folks, some of the miracles that we need in our lives are not going to happen apart from the body of Christ. If you're here this morning and you are struggling with something in your life you just can't get, seem to get victory over, if you're struggling with addictive behavior, chances are you're not going to get victory by yourself in that. It's going to take the body of Christ. It's going to take some brothers or some sisters coming around you and believing with you together. Remember what the scripture says? Confess your faults one to another. 
and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's that idea of connectiveness to each other. And when God sends those people into your life, don't be threatened by them. Don't be put off by them. Don't say, well, I can get through this by myself. That is the devil's way of trying to set us up for defeat. Say, the Lord brought these people in my life. They've brought these people in my life for a reason. He's brought these people in my life to believe together with me. We have a men's uh, Bible study and prayer time here on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. One of the things I love about that time is I get to sit down with a group of guys in this church and we talk over God's Word together, but we pray together. We are seeking the Lord together. And I know I've got some brothers I can go to at 6 a.m., even if I'm half dead and I'm you know, trying to wake up. But I know it will pray me through a situation if I need help praying through a situation, but also know that I've got to be there to help them and pray with them through. Same thing we do on Wednesday nights when we get together as, as a family of believers here, to pray together, to seek the Lord together, to believe for what I call those group miracles together. A church that prays together stays together. A church that prays together stays together, and a church that prays together knows the power of God together. Notice what happens in verse 5. The guy comes down. Jesus stops his teaching. You can imagine the silence that's, that's in the room. And he looks at this guy, and I love the verse. It says, Jesus saw their faith. How do you see faith? How do you see faith? It's that action. Their faith did something. It tore up a roof. It lowered a guy down. Jesus saw their faith. And notice what Jesus does. The first thing, he looks at the guy and he calls him. He says, son. The Greek word there can be translated child. It's a term of endearment. We'd probably say brother or friend today. Brother or friend. Jesus looks at him. He, he connects to him. He says, God, it's so good to see you. He's focusing on the guy. He's got his attention. The guy's laying there on his bed. He's wondering what's going to happen. Everybody's wondering what's Jesus going to do. And the first word out of Jesus' mouth is to use that friend. We would say today, friend or brother. Man, that guy knew immediately. He's connecting to me. He's accepting me. Something good's going to happen. Everybody around knew. Jesus isn't bugged by this. Jesus isn't put off by this. Jesus is getting ready to do something. Listen, every time we believe God together for something, mark it down. He's going to hear and he's going to act. Now notice what Jesus does. He doesn't do what everybody thought he was going to do. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. They were expecting a healing, and they got forgiveness. Now, why did Jesus do that? That man had two issues. He had paralysis of the body, but even more, he had paralysis of the soul. And Jesus was healing his soul. Because a well body and a sick soul hadn't really got you very far down the road. Jesus was not interested in sending out a well guy who was sick in his spirit. So Jesus said, I'm going to heal you up on the inside, then I'm going to heal your body and send you out of here. Jesus, when he works in our lives, will always go to the deepest part of who we are first 
to do a work. And so often we're asking him, Lord, work on the surface. And he says, I'll get around to the surface, but I'm going to the depths of who you are first because that's where you most need your healing. Your sins are forgiven. I am liberating your spirit. I am healing you on the inside. And then Jesus said, get up. You're healed. And walk out of here. Notice it says that the folks said, we've never seen anything like this before. Now, what was Jesus doing? He was looking at the man's greatest need and healing him there first. Number two, he was showing them that he had the authority to heal a body and to heal a soul. Final thing Jesus was doing, it was he was going to get final, ultimate, and complete glory to God out of this. You see, when Jesus got through, they weren't just seeing the glory of God in the healing of a sick body. They were seeing the glory of God in the healing of a soul. Always let Jesus do in a situation everything that He wants to do in a situation because He needs to get, He should get, He wants to get full glory from a situation. So many times we see a situation and we think, well, the Lord needs to work this way. And he says, I am going to work that way, and I do want to walk, work in it, but you're only, going to, you're only going to see half of my glory, half of my power, just a smidgen of who I am. So you've got to open this thing up, and you've got to let me get 100% glory out of this. You've got to let me magnify myself completely in this situation. When he walked out of there, people were saying, man, he can heal a sick body, but he can also heal a sick soul. Jesus got all the glory out of the situation. And so many times we limit God because we say, Lord, you need to do this and you need to do that. And God's trying to say to us, yes, I do, and yes, I can, but you're not seeing the whole situation. You're not capturing all that I want to do in this. Let me accomplish everything that I want to accomplish. This morning, where are you? Do you need someone to believe with you for a miracle and a touch from God in your life. Not just you believing by yourself. You feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall trying to believe God by yourself. You say, I need some brothers and some sisters in Christ to come around me and to believe with me. My faith in and of itself is not strong enough. I need some other folks to help me. Is that where you are? Are you at a place this morning that you say, Pastor, I just need to understand from God how He wants to get all the glory through this. Pastor, i got some obstacles. I am trying to believe God through a situation, but there are obstacles like those guys face that are blocking me, and I just need some brothers and sisters in Christ to help me to get around the obstacle and believe around the obstacle to where the Lord has. This morning as we sing an invitation hymn in just a moment, I'm going to open the invitation up this morning. If you need folks to pray with you through a situation, feel free to come on down. I want to ask Sunday school teachers and deacons who are here that if you see folks coming, that you just move out and come down here and pray with folks. Uh, I mean, I'm not the only person that can pray with people in this church through to get a miracle. And so leaders, I need you to be ready to come in here and pray with folks. And if you need someone to pray with you, come on down here. We will pray together and pray with you 
through a situation together to get a touch from the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to ask this morning that as we come, Lord, to this time, that, Father, you would speak to us. And, God, we don't want anyone to leave here today that needs someone to pray with them or that we need to go and pray with somebody to get, Lord, the, the touch from you in their life that they need. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in just a moment we will begin to sing, and I invite you to come. And folks would love to pray with you. Also, if you're here and need to give your life to Jesus today and follow Him, I invite you to come, and we would love to pray with you about giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Lord's laying on any other decision on your heart, please feel free to come. Let's know the power of God together. Let's connect to Him and to each other. Amen.